How many, I want to know the crowd that we're talking to, so I'll know what to do before I go. Matt, has, I'll talk to him as Matt, you talk to Pastor Matt. But Matt's been preaching on the series in Esther. So I want to know by a show of hands, how many have been here following this? Okay? You've been following this service. Okay? How many didn't didn't follow it, so this is your first time, so I know what to do? One, two, three, four. I better start over again. All right. Leah, get your iPhones out, put it on that, that Fable Bible app, follow along with the notes, write some notes down. I'm having some things I know that's going to help you. I've asked God to bless you. I did already practice this over in Colleen this morning, and we had a good service. And, but you know, uh, when uh, I talked to my son, I said, what do you want me to preach on? He said, well, you want to finish up this series? It sure would help. And I said, what is on? Chapter 6 and Chapter 7 of Esther. So, I began to read it, and I thought, well, you know, uh, Esther is so full of so many good things that we sometimes overlook some things. And so uh, I'm going to preach on a subject that he gave me, and that is the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of God, meaning that God's the boss. <laughs> good old Texas terminology, God has the last word. Sovereignty means sometimes we think we know more than God. Sovereignty means he knows more than we do. And so some of you might be going through a situation right now. You're saying, I don't know why God's doing this. It was mentioned by Pastor Ben a while ago about California, being raised in California. My sister lives up in uh, Southern California and all about the city and where this tragedy happened. And we want to know why all those things happen. Why does God do that? Why does God allow to do that, allow these things to do that? I hope I solve some of those questions in just a few minutes through the story of Esther. So while you're turning to Esther chapter 6 and 7, I am not going to read both chapters, but verse uh, 3 and chapter 7, I will. But I think I'll give you a, a thumbnail sketch just to get you along, bring you up to speed. Some of you have already been hearing a lot of things about Esther, but for those that haven't heard, I'll get it real quick. So if you listen fast, I'll talk fast to get you up to where we are right now. There are five characters in the book of, uh, in the book of Esther. Number one, there's King Xerxes. He's the king. Bastai, which was his queen. And so she's in there. Haman, which is, boo, the bad guy. We don't like Haman at all. And then there's Mordecai and also uh, Esther, which is the first cousin of Mordecai. Mordecai's older. He raised, helped raise Esther. Now, I want you to get something in your picture. These, these folks are Hebrews, along with a bunch of other Hebrews that were taken into Babylonian captivity, and they've been there a long time. Now it's towards the end of that captivity, and they're in Persia, Suda of, of Persia. They have a Persian king, King uh, Xerxes. So uh, he has queen. Just kind of give you a, an idea of what a king and a queen do. A queen doesn't outweigh the king. I uh, always mention this to people that are having problems in your home, and you think that you're having problems with your queen of your house, guys, it might be because you've not made her queen of your home. No women said amen to that. We always like a guy, they're looking on the other side of the fence saying, boy, he's got a maid. Look at his wife. And look how she dresses. And look how she does. And look how much she waits on him hand and foot. Well, you know what? Sometimes... Uh, 
we don't have what we think we should have in the marriage because we've not raised and elevated her up to be the queen of the home. Guys, I'm telling you, you want the most out of your wife and the best out of your wife, get her and make her the queen of your home. Amen? That's just a little thumbnail sketch on your life that'll help you out a little bit. Well, anyway, so on these characters, five characters, the whole book of Esther is about that. It's about banquets. He had ten banquets. They start out in the first chapter having a banquet. They end with a banquet, a lot of eating, a lot of drinking. Their banquets lasted for three days. Well, it starts off that King Xerxes, in the first chapter, boom, right off. He's going to have a banquet. So he asked his queen, Vesti, said, um, I want you to go get Vesti. Make sure she makes it for the banquet. And I'm going to give you just Texas terminology. So his uh, helpers go get uh, Vastai. Vastai says, I don't want to go. Well, this comes back to the king, and he goes like, who does she think she is? You go tell her that she is to be here for this banquet. They go back, and they tell her again. His counselors come back to her and says, uh, king, that doesn't look good that your queen isn't showing up. You better put your foot down. You better start being the king like you're supposed to king and demand her to come or she's out. Gave her another chance. She hooked it back, said, you know what? He can do what he wants to. I'm not going to the banquet. Being, uh, Queen Vashti was outed pretty quick. So now he's looking for a new queen. He sees this beautiful knockout gal. And I mean, she must have been really pretty. Esther. And he sees her. She's a Hebrew girl. She's not one of the Persian girls at all, but a Hebrew girl. He sees her. She, he loves her. Man, this is the gal I want. Things hook up. They begin, She becomes the queen. Mordecai, the cousin, he is trying to all the time work for the Hebrew children. Now, Esther's part of the kingdom. She's in the king's household. Well, anyhow, so all this time, there is a diabolical scheme going around by Mordecai. He doesn't like... I mean, by Haman, he doesn't like Mordecai. He wants to kill Mordecai. He wants to kill the Jews. So Haman's trying to figure out how he's going to get rid of all the Jews. So anyhow, he comes along and he devises this plan. Mordecai hears about it. Mordecai's upset and he says, I need Esther to intervene. She's my first cousin. She's our razor. She's in this house. She needs to help us out. He goes to Queen Esther and says, did you know that Haman wants to kill me? wants to kill all the Hebrews, the Jews, and you need to intercede for us. You're closest to the king than anybody. Can you intercede for us? Well, anyway, I kind of bring you up to this chapter 7. It's kind of a funny thing. How many know that sometimes um, uh, haughtiness goes before fall? You know, your prideness. You know, a little test was given in chapter 6. It's kind of funny in a way. In chapter 6, uh, uh, King Xerxes, he was woke up during the middle of the night. And he goes like, uh, you know, I, I can't sleep. You know, things are bothering me so much. And, and he told one of the servants, he said, would you go get me a chronicle? The chronicle at that time was uh, as if you took some notes of your life or you've got a notebook and you take, this is what I did last year, this is what I did, this is what I have. So he brings them in. He begins to read them over and he notices that Mordecai, who this Hebrew guy, Mordecai had done a lot of good things for him. He actually uh, discovered a plot to kill the king twice and uncover that to save the king's life. So he said, you know what? This guy's done a lot of good things for me. 
So he calls uh, Haman, which was Boo the bad guy. You ever hear the word Haman? That's bad. So he brings Haman in, and he says, um, I'm going to ask you a question. I thought this was a pretty funny story. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, if you were um, one of the king's best men, and you did all these exploits for the king, and uh, what, what do you think I should do for him? Well, Haman probably thinking, he's probably talking about me. So he tells the king, he said, I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd get him one of those nice scepters. I'd get him a uh, royal robe, a cat. Man, I may not make this guy look good. I'd get him one of the king's chariots, and I'd take him through the streets, and everybody bow down to him and tell him what a great guy he is. He's thinking that king's talking about himself. So he told Haman, he says, I'll tell you what I, I want you to do. I want you to go get all that stuff, and I want you to have it here, and I want you to uh, call Mordecai, the Hebrew. I want you to call Mordecai, and I want him to show up, and I want you to put all this stuff on him, and I want you to take him through the cities, and I want you to brag on him. And they, oh, Haman's going like, uh, wait a second, isn't this for me? I mean, know that sometimes things get a little backwards. <laughs> We think, kind of like, reminds me a lot of people think, boy, look what I've done, you know. And all of a sudden, God turns around and said, no, it's not what you've done. It's what somebody really has done. So he got all that stuff and made him so mad. I'm telling you, made him so mad. I remember said, I like that old Texas term, I've been so mad you want to bite nails. You know, I heard that Texas terminology. I just want to bite nails. You know, I'm so mad. Well, he was so mad that he wanted to kill uh, Mordecai. So what he did, he erected about a 30-foot tower and a noose on the end of it. He's going to hang Mordecai, and he's going to kill all the Hebrews. Mordecai finds out about this. So he says, i got to do something about it. So he goes to Esther, tells her what's happening. And then in chapter 7, Esther says, I want to throw a banquet, if you don't mind, King. At this banquet, I want you to come, me to come. I want Haman to come. I want to make sure Haman's there. Three days after the first day, the second day, the Bible says they're drinking and eating on the second day of this banquet. And so, uh, you know, here comes uh, Esther. She's walking. The Bible says here she comes through the outer court. She must have been so beautiful that he couldn't take his eyes off her. So he sees her, and he looks at her and says, that's my queen. Of course, she's already queen, but, oh, I want you to come on in. And, you know, to approach the king was a dangerous thing if you weren't invited. But she come on in. I want you to come on. And let me tell you something. Today I feel so generous, so anything that you want, you just ask of me, and I'll give it to you. In fact, I'll give everything half of I own, everything half I own in this kingdom belongs to you. She's going, oh, wow, pretty good. So she says, so he says, what could it be? And it brings it up to this one verse. And here it is, Esther chapter 7, verse 3. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, of course, my wife Carol didn't call me majesty, even though she's a queen of the house. And if it pleases you, grant me my life, and this is my petition, and spare my people, this is my request. So, so, King Xerxes says, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, did you know that Haman sat him right here at the banqueting table, this guy right here? 
Did you know that he has devised a plan to kill all my people? And my first cousin, cousin Mordecai, he's going to hang him on a tall tower? He said, oh, is that right? The Bible said it made him so mad. You look on chapter 7, made him so mad, the king was so mad, he got up and he left the room. Man, he was furious. While he was gone for just a little while, Haman, the coward, deceptive, boo, the evil guy, mean-spirited, mean thoughts, he goes up and he sits beside and puts his hand evidently on Esther, the queen. Wrong. <laughs> and while he's sitting in there, guess who comes back? Yeah, oh yeah, you figured that out. Here comes the king back in. He looks over there and said, what are you doing with my queen? He said, you read it for yourself. He said, I left for a few minutes, and you're trying to molest my queen? He was really trying to beg him for his life. <laughs> for his life is what he's doing. He was so mad, he said, I'll tell you what's going to happen to you. I want you to guard. I want you to come and get him. I want you to take him to that tower that he built for Mordecai. And I want you to hang him there. Yikes. Did he get what he deserved? Probably. But this sermon's about the word sovereign. Why God does things the way he does, I don't understand. If I was God, there wouldn't be a lot of people here. And you know, too, there's probably at work you say, man, if I was God, I'd certainly take care of them. They wouldn't be around. In fact, all these shootings that's going around and all that, did you know hundreds and hundreds of Christians right now are being beheaded, crucified in some of the Middle Eastern countries only because they call themselves Christians? And if I was God, I would say anyone that harms a believer in Jesus Christ shall be put on that noose and hung. That would be me. But I'm not God. God's God. And he's a sovereign God. And I want to show you some things about the word sovereign that I'm taking out of the book of Esther that will help you in your life. And maybe give you some kind of a peace of mind of why maybe sometimes we go through the situations that we go through and wonder why we're going through them. But I learned a lot out of this particular one verse. He said, okay, what do you want? Ask anything that you want. You know, uh, when Matt gave me this, and he said, I'm just going to give you the title and the scripture. You do what you want to do with it. And I, I brought down just a couple of things. Number one, to learn what God's sovereignty is. And here it is. God's sovereignty is this, that God wasn't made for us. We were made for him. And I think that people's got that wrong. A lot of people think, you know, I'm the big shot here. And so, God, whenever I call on you, you better act. And I want you to act like I want you to act. And I want you to do what I want you to do. And I want you to punish who I want you to punish. There's people, a lot, that are a lot of people here that are, are probably driven by uh, some type of a, a revenge type of spirit. Be careful about that. That could be a cancer in your spirit that robs you from anything you could get out of church or anything that you could get from God, only because we've got that spirit inside of us. Well, anyway, sovereign is uh, found, I, I found this in, Psalms 147, verse 4, it says, God determines the number of the stars, and he calls each of them by name. Uh, in fact, it was um, last night, and we were coming home, 
Man, it was such a clear night. I don't know if you looked outside last night. In Salado, where we live, I mean, it gets dark there. We don't have any street lights. We're so broke. Look up there. All you can see is these wonderful stars. And that came to my mind. I said, I wonder what God calls that little star. I don't wonder what God calls that little star. You see, we call Milky Ways, and we call Venus, and we call Saturn. But every speck that you see in that universe, the Scripture tells us God has them by name. God is sovereign. He's so sovereign, He knows the hair on our heads. He knows the thoughts and intents of our heart. He knows everything about us and me, and He still loves me. He knows everything about you and still loves you. He knows how many times that we didn't love Him, He still loved us. God's sovereign. Sovereign means that we can make all the decisions we want, and we can pull all the strings we want, but God's going to have the last word. Amen? And, you know, I don't really mind that at all. If God has the last word, it must be a pretty good word. And if he can save a whole nation from being annihilated, let me just share this, too, with you. I don't know if you realize how important Esther was. Esther, back in 458 B.C., around that area, was right after that Babylonian captivity. Everybody wanted to go back to Jerusalem, but nobody really had the authority. Now they're in Persia instead of in the Babylonian captivity, and so... Xerxes is ahead over all this. Did you know because of Esther and what she did, brought on not only the revival in the Jewish nation, but it also brought uh, a guy named Ezra, who later on found favor with the same king because of what Esther did, and was released to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And not only that, Nehemiah, who's in your Bible, was one of the ones who found favor with King Xerxes by King Queen Esther that brought him in to meet him and found favor with him. And he was sent back to Jerusalem to build the walls. A lot of things happen out of this one book, Esther. You know, Matt had, had mentioned a couple of things about Esther and uh, several things. God's not mentioned in Esther any time. Prayer's not mentioned in Esther any time. It really doesn't look like really too much of a religious book at all. But when you look at the divine sovereign ability of God that is recorded in, the, in this one book, and what they do today, even today, that the Jewish nation, because of this one act, still has a feast and a banquet called the Feast of Purim. And this feast recognizes their deliverance of the Jewish nation out of the hands of Persia uh, by one woman. They still have that, that feast going on today through all those years. So how important was the decision of Esther to lay her life on the line and go before the queen and ask for all the Hebrews and Jewish people to be saved? The sovereign hand of God was before them. And then secondly, in, when God has the last words, he has a plan. Now, the devilish plan was to get rid of Israel. God's plan was to save Israel. I want to show you a few things that happened throughout a history. Uh, I don't know if you realize or not, uh, the devil's been working overtime to get rid of the Jewish nation, period. You say, what does that have to do with me? Well, read the book of Hebrews and find out that you and I as Gentiles, maybe there's some Jewish people here, I don't know, but I'm not a Jewish person. But we that are Gentiles are part of the Jewish nation now. I don't know if you realize it, 
because we that are saved become the heirs of Abraham's seed. And because of Abraham's promise and preaching to the Gentiles through Paul the Apostle and others and Luke and many others, we now enter into that, that fellowship through the blood of Jesus Christ and salvation have entered into that promise of Abraham's seed. But if you remember back, during Abraham's seed, right then that whole thing could have been dissolved when actually Abraham took Isaac up to be offered. You remember the story. He was the one that was going to be the first of the Hebrew nation. He put the knife to his hand. He was stayed there. But in the book of Hebrews, I love, love this. Even though Abraham would have sacrificed Isaac from the dead, the Bible says that Abraham believed God that even if he was dead, he'd be raised from the dead. If that would have happened, the Hebrew nation would have gone. The Israels would have been gone. The Jews would have been gone. But a lot of things happened after that to put a test to the Jewish nation. I want you to think about it. I'm going to bring you up to date on how important Ezra, when she did what she did, come about today. You remember the story about Moses? Well, actually, when Moses was a little baby, Satan tried to destroy all the little boys in that area. And guess what? The Pharaoh said, I hear that there's something going on. I want all, with the Hebrews, I want all the baby boys to die. I want them to be killed. So his mom takes him, puts him in a bulrush, puts it on the pond. And wouldn't you know, to God's sovereign ability, guess who he ends up with? The very daughter, <laughs> that's right, of Pharaoh. And guess where he's raised? In royalty. And guess who leads out of Egypt? His own people. God has a sovereign ability that you, you and I, he's got plans for our life that we think, man, this looks complex what I'm in today. But he's got it all figured out if we just kind of go his way. The Jewish nation has all kinds of people, two kings after that. Uh, how about when Jesus was born? When Jesus was born, it wasn't too long after that, word got back to Herod, said there's a Jewish king that's been born. He said, oh, is that right? I'll fix that. Said every Jewish boy that is being born right now, I want him to be killed. We know the story. Uh, Joseph and Mary takes Jesus, and they go off to Egypt until it was safe to come back. Now we have Jesus, the Son of God, Savior of mankind, leader, and coming back for the Jewish nation only because Satan tried to kill the Jews. Sitting right here among us, not only is my dad, but there are others, such in World War II, Hitler devised a plan to exterminate over 6 million Jews. I have pictures of my dad coming into Paris, France, in World War II, in the invasion of Europe, and leading the people into freedom. And some of the stories that I hear, that when they went to the concentration camps, what views that they had of the millions of Jews that were trying. A man named Hitler tried to exterminate all these Jews. He said, well, it's not possible to do that. But Satan thinks it's possible. Satan's a deceiver, and if you're deceived, you think of all the things that you could do even though you're deceived. Satan still thinks he's going to win. God says you're going to lose. Who are you going to believe? I'm believing God. I'm believing that the Jews are going to be saved. Amen? Did you know happening right now, all you got to look on is CNN, uh, Fox News, get your paper, it's all over that the Jewish nation's being attacked by all kinds of places. Number one, right across its borders. 
I've been there to where I've seen the bombs coming over by the Palestinians into Jerusalem. I remember one of our trips we took to Israel. We came into Israel in Tel Aviv. It was back when Saddam Hussein, which some of our own soldiers here from Fort Hood, buried themselves. They got him. Thank you, men and women. But before he died, he was sending over Scud missiles. I don't know if you remember that or not. Sending over Scud missiles to Tel Aviv. When we flew into Tel Aviv, I noticed I saw these buildings that had been bombed. So I asked the guy when we got there, our tour guy, so what's happened? He says, Saddam Hussein has been trying to kill the Jewish people. In fact, he's sending over gas bombs on these Scud missiles. We're shooting them down, but we can't shoot them all down. They hit the buildings. And at that time, I remember this as clear as a bell. Many of the Jews, when that siren went off, they would put on these gas masks. Now, I don't know if you've ever lived in a country that you walk out that door fearing that any moment there's another bomb coming your way. But right now in Israel, that happens practically every day. Every day. I remember going uh, to, which I've been there several times, to the Holocaust Museum. If you've never been there, the whole trip to Israel would be worth your time just to go there. And I remember Carol and I and our group of 20-something people pull up one time, and all these buses are always there, all these school buses, because it's mandated that every Jewish kid, every Jewish child must go to the Holocaust Museum. Every kid. So when, you, we, when we were there, these buses were in front of us, a guy uh, just in street clothes like this, and not like this, but this is street clothes. He gets off, he's got a semi-automatic weapon, machine gun, whatever it is. AK-47, I don't know what it is. He gets off. He's got that gun. Now the kids get off behind him. They follow him into, this is like several buses, follow him into the museum. We haven't yet got off. They won't let us get off till the kids get in there. And then after the kids get off, there's a lady that, that particular day, a woman. She was in street clothes. She had one of those rifles. Yeah. And she's behind following them in. I asked the tour guide, what's the deal with this? He said, our kids cannot go anywhere without the fear of being killed and annihilated. We must. These are our, I hear you like this, our PTA. What he said. These are parents that provide free uh, covering for these kids. But when you go in there, it, it, not a dry eye, you would not leave. It's a huge thing. There's so many things I could tell you about, but this one thing I don't want you to miss. That when you walk in there and you finally make your way down, there's a place called the Children's Museum. I almost cried just thinking about it. And it's a, it's a wall, probably as big as that, but it's all glass. And it's kind of a cubicle-looking thing. And you, when you walk to it, all of a sudden you think, this could not happen even in the world, in the world. How, how cruel in the world could anybody be? And the whole glass is full up to the top with scalps and hair from children, from Jewish kids. Lampshades that have been made out of the skins of Jewish men and women and kids. When I looked at that and I, looked, and I thought about my Bible, you're talking about Esther is a big deal? I imagine. I imagine it's a pretty big deal. Because if Haman would have had his way, he would have been probably one of the first Hitlers. 
and even annihilate it if he could. And did you know there's a pact going on in the Middle East right now? And I'll name you some of them. I'm not afraid to. Number one is the Palestinians, Hezbollah, ISIS, ISIL. Oh, the name goes on. I just wrote down a couple just to refresh your memories. And not only uh, those that, who have vowed to do it, we've got uh, Al-Qaeda and we've got Iran who publicly come out and say what we want to do is annihilate the Jews off the face of the earth. Does this sound familiar? Back in Esther, Ezra, I mean Esther, that Esther defended the Jews. Our United States men and women delivered the Jews and those that were being annihilated. Our own moms and dads that are sitting here. We still have a few World War II guys still hanging around. We still have a few that say, you know what I'm going to do when the... the uh, Pledge of Allegiance comes along as I'm going to put my hand over my heart. We still have a few of those. We still have a few that come along that win the Star Spangled Banner or the uh, song at the ball games. Guess what? There's hats come off still in Texas. I don't know about a lot of places, but around in Texas, we have a lot of people that are patriotic still. What I'm trying to tell you is this. Because of one woman's intercession, this happened. What, ha what would happen if we, as church members that believe in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, would get together of Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and Catholics and whoever it might be and get together and say, how powerful can we be with God? How powerful can the voice of the church be if we stop separating each other and become one? It would be mega powerful. Can you say Amen. You know, the neat thing about all this is, is that the Bible says that when you see Israel encompassed round about, they are right now. He said, lift up your heads, for redemption draweth nigh. Jesus coming back for the Jewish nation. A good friend of mine, I heard him on the radio, Mike Evans. I heard him just yesterday, or Friday. And he was on Hannity, by the way. I had it on television. Uh, the new uh, channel on 1400 AM. I had, hey, Mike Evans, he's just my roommate down uh, two doors down from me at Southwestern. He, go, he is a spokesman for America and Jews both. He goes back and forth all the time. Mike's a good friend of mine. And so he was talking about how that right now that around the world, not just here, that uh, this anti-Semitism is so powerful in the world that even in America, Jews are put down. They're put down everywhere. But if you think about it, the Jewish people and the Christians have something really in a common bond. We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We as Christians believe that Jesus Christ has come to save us from our sins. We believe in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, the whole world, that if I were God, I'd kill all those people that don't like us. But God doesn't do that. God's a merciful God. He's a sovereign God. I wish I, I wish God kind of give me a little hint what he's got in store next day, maybe Monday or Tuesday. But since he doesn't have to go through me, I don't know. He doesn't have to go through you either. If you don't get this, I want you to get on your Internet. You can do it now for all I care. But 
the Assemblies of God have what they call the P.E. News, P.E., Pentecostal Evangel News. You can go on to ag.org, ag.org. You can go to the main website and see P.E. News, Pentecostal Evangel. This happened this week. This news is fresh off the press. Two things. Number one, the news came that during a shooting up here in California, there was a Spanish-speaking guy, man, American Spanish, that was in there, and he got shot seven times. He's still living. He's doing okay. His pastor, which is a pastor of a uh, similar God, uh, Spanish-speaking church in the area, I was telling him about how that when he talked to him, he said, uh, you know, how that God intervened for him and all that. And so he said, how come I was picked out to live and all my friends in the room died? Here again. We don't know all the questions, to, all the answers to all the questions. We settle on the fact. And this sounds like a scapegoat that I'm trying to get out and just take it easy way out. I'm not. God's sovereign. We'll, we'll, we will never, ever know all the reasons why things happen the way they do. But they do. And we have to realize God has a reason for it. Another news one that came along and I thought was real interesting and really comes to the point of Esther, I thought, what a powerful thing that this is about the sovereignty of God. You'll find it and uh, on your news, if you go on there, on August the 3rd, 2009, there was a guy, he was a pastor, Kevin Ramby, R-A-M-B-Y. This man was associate pastor at the time, but now he's become the pastor later on. He came home. They went to bed. A guy breaks into his house. And he finds this guy in his house. He confronts the guy. The guy's name is Wesley McClendon. And so there comes a confrontation uh, of this burglar in his house. The guy pulls out a knife. You can look this story up. Looks out, pulls out a knife and stabs the pastor 37 times. 37 times. They say in the news article that if you were to stretch all these wounds out, it would measure together over four feet. But God in his providence had this man to live, this pastor to live. He survived. His kids were okay. His wife's okay. But questions came along. Why, why did it happen to me? God, you're a sovereign God, but can you just tell me why the bad things? And sometimes bad things happen to good people. But I just know God's still on the throne when they do. I've had bad things happen to me, sure. And I said, hey, God, I, you know, I'm a giver and I go to church and all that. God said, that's not the qualifications. I got something special for you and I want to bless you if you just let me. Well, the story goes on. He gets real mad. He is so mad that there's so much anger and there's so much unforgiveness in him. But God begins to work on his life during these times that he wants this guy to be found. They finally find him. He went on trial. But God began to speak to this pastor and tell him, I love the story, and he told him, he said, you go and minister to him in jail. You go there, and I want you to pray for him. And he's talking to God. He says, God, you know what he did? He stabbed me 37 times. I almost died. He said, but you need to pray for him, and you need to go there and love on him. You need to, and he said, I don't know if I can do it. But he knew that if he couldn't do it, this unforgiveness would be in his spirit. And it would be a cancer that would destroy him and not the guy that stabbed him. So he began to minister to him. It never does say whether or not the guy was uh, born again or not that, that stabbed him. 
But during this time, he begged this pastor, when, when we finally go to trial, when it finally happens, would you go to bat for me so I don't get a death sentence or a life sentence? He said, the only thing I'm going to do is pray for you. If you do the crime, you, the crime, you got to do the time. But he had somebody praying for him. He said somebody love on him. He said the hardest thing that he learned, and I want you to get this in sovereign ability, is that he learned what it was to have true forgiveness. I don't know if I could have that. Do you? Do you know if you could have true forgiveness if somebody did that to you or harmed your loved one or shot 15 of your coworkers or whatever it was and are, are killing somebody you know? Could you forgive them? Could you love on them? And it said that this young guy that's been the Spanish guy in California, the passion him got together and he found in his heart and he said, made a statement, I forgive these two people that had shot him. In his spirit, he had to let that go. I'm here to tell somebody, I don't know who it is, that in God's sovereign ability, you can't understand why, but you need to let it go and you need to forgive and you need to get it out of your spirit. I'm talking to somebody that at this Christmas time, you just might be a, at dinner with your physical brother or your physical sister or your aunt or your uncle who had molested you or done you wrong, and there's a, there's a feeling inside of you that you want to kill them and that you want to harm them. I'm telling you, let it go. Give it to God. Get true forgiveness in you. They will die eating up their guilt. That's fine. Whatever God has, well, they got to make that decision. But you will never die with unforgiveness in your spirit. There's some cleaning up that needs to go, especially at this time. It's the worst time in the world to have unforgiveness in your spirit. And you're sitting across the table with somebody wishing that they would be harmed to them. Second thing that I learned out of this man that was a pastor, he found that through tragedy, a greater ministry come. You see, he was pastoring a church in Detroit, Michigan. Ain't nobody lives in Detroit anymore, Harley. That's alive. <laughs> you know, he was pastoring there, and God said, I got something greater for you. And all of a sudden, he tells him a story. God brought the story of Joseph. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Here's what it says. And Joseph, looking at his physical brothers who sold him into slavery, he looked at him. he said, you know what you did for me? You meant to harm me. What you did meant to hurt me. But God meant it for good. God put Joseph in one of the highest places in the king's court. He learned a lesson that sometimes God's got a way to elevate us, but sometimes that way of elevating looks like we're going down instead of up. And last of all, I learned, he learned this, and I liked when he said this. He said, I learned out of the tragedy of being stabbed 37 times that God's sovereign, he makes decisions that always fits the best for me. And I thought about that. I pray for a lot of things. You pray for cars, you pray for houses, you pray for marriages, you pray for boyfriends, girlfriends, you pray for money, you pray for good gifts at Christmas. Who knows what all the things you pray for? You know what? God's got good things in store for you. Well, they sing this song. I just want you to wait upon the Lord just for a minute. We're going to pray. I believe that God's speaking to some here this morning. We're wrapping up this. Pastor Matt's going on a different direction. But, but in this conclusion, Esther says, I will save a nation if it calls in my life. In sovereign, God's sovereign ability, he has brought you here 
for such a time as this to answer some deep questions in your life. And we're going to do it around the altar. In just a few minutes, we're going to pray, give you that opportunity. Let's sing and worship the Lord. Would you just close your eyes, lift your hands, maybe stand all over the congregation. Would you do it? Let's stand in honor of the Lord.